Good evening, everyone. Our first song tonight, Number 11, number 11. Fifty-five, fifty-five. After this song, we'll have our prayer and scripture read. <clears throat> beyond this land of parting, losing and leaving, far beyond the losses, darkening this, and far beyond the taking and the bereaving, lies the summer land of bliss. Land beyond, so fair and bright. Land beyond, where is no night. Summer land, God is its life. Oh, happy summer land of bliss. Beyond this land of waiting, seeking and sighing. Far beyond the sorrows, 
dark and ignis, and far beyond the pain and sickness and dying lies the summer land of bliss, land beyond so fair and bright, land beyond where is no night, summer land, God is its light, oh happy summer land of The scripture reading Rick's chosen for this evening is Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Now for those that were, who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus, to seek Saul. And when they found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole, for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Would you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for this opportunity we have to come here this evening to learn more from your word. Father, we pray that you'd be with Rick, help him to bring the message to us, Father. Be with us as, our, as the listeners of this message that we can apply it to our lives. Father, we pray for all those on our sick list. Pray that you'd be with them, be with the doctors and nurses attending to them. Help us to help them any way that we can. Father, we pray that you would be with us the rest of this week. Help us to be the shining lights we need to be in our communities. Thank you for sending Jesus to the cross for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. For our sermon this evening, we'll sing number 48. Number 48. If you can, please, let's stand as we sing this song. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere he leads me through this world below. Anywhere without him dearest joys would fade. Though his hand may live. 
Lightning shadows round about me creep, knowing I shall wake and never more to roam. Anywhere with Jesus will be home, sweet home. Anywhere, anywhere, fear I cannot go. Good evening. I mentioned uh, this morning that, um, are we on? Test, test, test. Yeah. I mentioned this morning that uh, we're going to be talking about membership. Uh, Chris, will, his next two Sunday mornings will be on uh, the topic of membership. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about uh, what is that membership in. And I think most of you tonight Nothing will be said that will surprise you. Uh, I think you're aware of this uh, difference between uh, what we call the church universal and the church local. But in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, when Peter says, he, Jesus says, who do you all say that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on that rock, I will build my church. This is Jesus' church. It's why he came to this earth to establish his church through the suffering, dying on the cross, forgiveness of sins, and then having that body of people who would be dedicated to uh, God through his teachings and the apostles' doctrine that we find in the rest of the New Testament. Um, I started working on this and I found in, in my files an outline and even a PowerPoint from an individual uh, called Mark Copeland. And I remember there was a guy named Mark Copeland uh, when I was down at Florida College my first semester there. And uh, I looked him up and his birthday is in 1951. And I said, that's the same one because my birthday's in 1951. And it did say in his profile that he went to uh, Florida College. <clears throat> he had uploaded this for anyone to use and so I have combined some of my thoughts and some of his thoughts into this presentation about uh, this church that Jesus built. The word church, as you know and have heard, if you've been spent any time at all in uh, Bible classes or, or uh, sermons, listening to sermons uh, here or anywhere else in the Church of Christ, you know that it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means to be called out. It's used to describe a body of citizens. Didn't have a religious connotation originally to discuss the affairs of state. It's a group that called out, that was called out, an assembly uh, of sorts. And ancient man, ma, uh, manuscripts uh, discussed the gathering of Israel for a revelation of instruction. When they refer back to them in the Old Testament in the Greek uh, during that time period. So it's an assembly, a group, a gathering for prescribed uh, purpose. In the New Testament, you have two basic references. You have references to the church, which is the entire company, the whole group of those people who are redeemed or saved, who are in Christ. And then you have a localized group or company 
of professed believers. We refer to them as congregations. And I don't know that they refer to them as congregations in the, um, in the New Testament. It seems like they just refer to them as a church at some prescribed place. So it's used in two ways. And this is the first way. Probably the, uh, I don't know, I was going to say maybe the most, most often way that it's referred to in the New Testament. But I'd have to go back and look at it. And it's maybe it's the most important way, if nothing else. Church Universal, it's that company of souls, as we just said, who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. When we obey the gospel, we are saved. Our sins have been remitted. We are in that universal body of believers um, across the world and across time. Other terms that are also used, you see here, the body of Christ, household of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church of God. Any of those probably would be legitimate if we wanted to change our name. We don't want to change our name uh, because there are other reasons that we use uh, the church of Christ. Um, but those are other things, other uh, designations that this universal body of Christ uh, is referred to in the New Testament. <clears throat> and then we have the church local, Christians in a prescribed or proscribed uh, uh, geographical area that work and worship together as a congregation of God's people. We are one of those. We are a local congregation, a local church of that larger body. And ours is organized. And that larger body doesn't need an organization. And we'll talk more about that um, in just a minute. So this church universal, composed of all Christians, both living and dead, those who are alive now, those who have been in Christ since uh, the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost. Um, and we'll talk about another group in just a minute that it uh, probably includes as well. Ephesians 4 tells us there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one body, one God, the Father, uh, one spirit, one hope, one calling. I might be, might be in there as well. So there's only one. There's not many church universals, at least the church uh, designed by God and the church uh, that Jesus built. It began on the day of Pentecost. We are all familiar with what took place on Acts, in Acts 2, where the apostles were gathered, the Holy Spirit comes, inspires them. They are able to speak the first gospel sermon uh, there in and around the temple, and thousands uh, are convicted and repent and are baptized and they are added to that church. Uh, Brian read for us uh, Acts the 11th chapter where you had kind of the uh, description of a congregation forming there where Jerusalem sends Barnabas up to Antioch because they were, they were teaching and, 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 and uh, good things were happening there. Barnabas goes up, he goes up, gets Saul, and then he comes back and they stay there and, and work with them uh, for about a year to, to set that congregation off on, on the right, right foot, if it needed that. Provide inspired teaching or whatever was necessary for that group. But yeah, that was an interesting uh, examination of the beginning of a, the formation of a local congregation there in Antioch. <clears throat> Acts 2.41 and 47 Talk to us about how you get into that church uh, or what, how you 
how you become a member of it. Not so much the, the details of leading up to it, but who adds you to that church, that you are added in Acts 2.41. So then, those who had received this word were baptized. And that's how you get in. And that day, they were added about 3,000 souls. And then we find in verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it's not, I do have a part in that process because I respond to the gospel. But it's the Lord who adds us to that larger body. And I only make a point of that because we'll contrast that to the local group in just a minute. So we are added. We don't join. We don't say, I want to be a member, and then that, that takes care of it. The Lord adds us upon our rendering obedience to the gospel. The first members were probably the pre-Christ righteous. And we have talked about this in, in our Wednesday night class. When it says in Acts 2.41 and 2.47 that the Lord added them to the church, you, you have to be added to something that already exists. And I never thought of this until oh, several years ago I ran across this concept. And I believe it's, it's very accurate. And here's the point. Hebrews 12, 23 speaks of the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The righteous, all the righteous. Now, Hebrews 12, and this is going to surprise you, comes right after Hebrews 11. <laughs> Hebrews 11, we know, is that whole list of Old Testament people who are or were righteous were faithful under whatever dispensation they lived. If it was mosaical dispensation, fine. If it was a patriarchal dispensation, they pleased God in whatever way he expected them to serve him. And those people who are listed there with a host of many others, as it suggests in chapter 11, um, were righteous. But notice what else. We've got these two passages here. Hebrews 9.15, for this reason he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called, that's the righteous under the old law, may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So they didn't receive what we received or what they received on the day of Pentecost. God reserved that event for that particular time. But they were saved in the future because they had been righteous in their own uh, situations. And they had pleased God. And so as soon as Jesus died on the cross, as soon as he was risen, all their sins were forgiven. So I guess you could say they were grandfathered in to the church even before the day of Pentecost ever took place 50 days later. Here's another passage which teaches that. All these in chapter 11, though that hall of faith that we talk about, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive at that time, that's inserted there, what was promised because God had provided something better for us the writer of Hebrews says, it takes place during our lifetime, current uh, time of saving blood of Christ, so that they would uh, not be made perfect. So they are 
made perfect now through the blood of Christ that came a long time after they were found righteous under whatever dispensation they lived at the time. So, when it says they were added to uh, the church, added to the others that had been saved, more than likely that includes all of those who were faithful before. At least that's what I think and that's what a, a lot of people think. Lord keeps the, the books of membership in that larger uh, organization, the church universal. Uh, Roman is in heaven. Hebrews 12, 23 tells us. 2 Timothy uh, 2.19 says the Lord knows who are his. And we have uh, this statement. Oh, there's 12.23 that I, we just looked at. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And then we have this statement in Revelation 3.5. I will not erase his name from the book of life. And that's the individual who is faithful unto death. These are the churches, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And, and will, I will confess his name before my father. So, we have, there's a book of life that exists, or in a spiritual sense. God knows who are his, and we are all enrolled in that when we become uh, a Christian. As were all of those who lived before faithful once Christ died. It consists of all the saved, as we have said. The Lord, uh, when the time comes, will present the church holy and without blemish to the Father. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy uh, and blameless. On the other hand, there are those who are in that group who can be cast out. We talk about John 15, the bearing fruit uh, chapter, <clears throat> when Jesus is talking to his disciples um, there about the importance of bearing fruit. And by that, he means simply doing all of those things which are fruits of the Spirit, uh, godliness, uh, kindness, love, compassion, all, all of those things, if we, if we demonstrate those, we're fine. He says, but if you don't do that, then you are cut off and thrown into the fire. And John 15, in Romans 11, he's talking there to the Gentiles. And he's saying, look, the Jews were the original root. They are the original branches. They are the, the ones who, who were in. But if they do not render obedience to the gospel, he will cut them off and graft you Gentiles in. He's going to graft you Gentiles in to that, to that branch uh, to begin with, or that tree, that growth, whatever it is, um, because they have rendered obedience, he said, but you can be cut off the same way. So he gives those warnings in, in both of those situations that even though you are in that saved body, you can be cut out of that group as well. And you must be in the church to be saved. Jesus is the savior of the body. We are added to that. Ephesians 5.23 tells us that. And here's an interesting uh, notion. There is no earthly organization to that larger body of saved souls. And if you say, oh yeah, Rick, well what about? Well, tell me about that after 
after the uh, lesson tonight. Um, we don't have a headquarters. We don't have um, a, a ruling body of that larger universal church. Ephesians 2.19 and 1 Peter 2.5 tell us it's a spiritual house with spiritual sacrifices that are involved there. So then, when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing, to, growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are, are also are being built together into a dwelling of, the God, of God in the spirit. It's a spiritual organization doesn't have a, a headquarters or a superstructure other than what we find in that passage there, God and Christ. So, no earthly headquarters. That is in contrast to uh, what you find in other situations. In just a minute, we're going to talk about um, the local church. But right now, let's look at what we find in the United States and across the world. If you Google Hartford Institute for Religion Research, <clears throat> there is a whole list of things there over on the right-hand side um, that um, information or resources or something. But if you, if you go right over here to uh, denominations and click there, you get something that looks like this. Official denomination, denominational websites. Now, denomination is a group. It's not necessarily a local church. It's a group of local churches. And when I say that, I just use the term churches loosely because we're using it in, in two pretty prescribed ways here tonight. Church universal, those who are saved, and the local church, a local group of the saved working to carry out uh, God's will in that area. But there are a bunch of these. Um, and it goes through the entire alphabet up there, and you can click on the various letters and find how many are under each. There are 239 of these listed here, but when you look at other websites, um, you've got over 20,000 religious religions or religious groups across the world. So there are numerous groups out there that identify as being religious, maybe even identify um, as Christian, and we'll use the, the term loosely there. Interestingly, on this page right here, you see Church of Christ. We must be a denomination. Wrong. We're not. We're not a denomination. When you click on that, here is what you find. <clears throat> it's another group there. Oh, it's interesting. Um, uh, Mark Copeland originally said every one of those 239 that he clicked on, uh, every one of them had a physical headquarters somewhere in this country or somewhere else. You won't find that for a Church of Christ. And here's what you find when you do click on that Church of Christ. This is simply a, um, a main linking site for some resources called Internet Ministries. It has a, an address of where this person runs this, but you've got uh, directories, 
directories, ministries, resources, sermons, a mobile app, web hosting that will help you set up your website. Here is the Church of Christ disaster relief effort that we participate in. Some of us maybe have even gone to the response team um, effort there. You've got uh, uh, emergency broadcast network, office hours for this website, I'm assuming, um, and info at uh, churchofchrist.org. That is not our headquarters. That is simply a website that someone has where you can get information for uh, the churches of Christ. What you do find is answers to various questions when you go to the various links there. Who are the churches of Christ and what do they believe in? We are undenominational. We always refer to it as non-denominational, or at least that's what I have always heard. We are non-denominational and have no central headquarters or president. The head of the church is none other than Jesus Christ. We cite Ephesians 1, 22-23 for that. In addition, each congregation of the churches of Christ is autonomous. means we aren't ruled by anybody else. We are self-governing. And it's the word of God that unites us in one faith. That one faith mentioned back in Hebrews 4 that we talked about earlier as well. We follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and his holy apostles and not the teachings of man. We're not Baptist Christians. We're not Methodist Christians. We're not Episcopalian Christians. We are Christians. And that's our name and that's who we are. Here's another question. How are the churches organizationally connected? They aren't. Following the plan of organization found in the New Testament, the churches of Christ are autonomous. Their common faith in the Bible and adherence to its teachings are the chief ties which bind them together. There is no central headquarters of the church and no organization superior to the elders of each local congregation. And that's what we understand. That's what we know. That's what we practice. That's what we teach because that's what we find in the Bible. That's the only way that church, local churches are structured. No superstructure, no larger group of churches of which we are a part and organize ourselves and are in some way subject to or subservient to. We don't have a synod. We don't have a, uh, a conference, a convention. Uh, we, don't, we don't have those larger groups under which all the uh, churches in that organization fall. It's not the pattern that we find in the New Testament. Our headquarters are in heaven, if you want to say we have a headquarters. So, no earthly headquarters. It cannot be divided. It's not a physical entity. It's a spiritual entity composed of physical people. But it can't, it can't be divided. It's, it's God's and Christ's and they alone decide who gets admitted and they um, are able to cut people out as Jesus said back when he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles being grafted in and, and cut away and thrown into the fire. So I guess we could create one and divide it, but why would we do that? Death does not affect membership. It's composed of the saved, both living and dead. Paul died or said he is, he is uh, willing to die and go on and be with Christ. But he also knew that he had a role here back 
um, on, on this earth. So even if he did die, he would still be in the church. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, God has destined us for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we may, that whether we are awake, alive, or asleep, dead, we may live together with him. So it, the church is composed, the universal church is composed of both the dead and the living. So that's the church universal. Now we'll go to the church local. It's composed of Christians in one geographical area. There are people who drive hours to worship with other people. Uh, fortunately, I don't think any of us do. There may be enough churches in this particular area, faithful churches, that we can uh, find the one that's closest to us or the one that meets our needs the best or whatever. <clears throat> but there are some people that will drive hours. We uh, talked to the Akpanudos. Moses says they have to go a long way. Um, people have to go a long way to get to where they worship on, on Sundays. Church at Corinth, church at Thessalonica, those, um, the church at Ephesus, that's how they are designated as geographical regions there. They are members of both the church universal when they are, uh, when they are obedient and are added to the church and local. I have a question mark after local. And here's, here's why. There are many churches uh, in the local sense. So we'll talk about that in just a second. Just store that question mark for a second. Romans 16, 16 says, the churches of Christ greet you. So we know that there are a bunch of churches. And if you read Paul's letters, then you know there's a church in Corinth, a church in Ephesus. And here it says, the churches of Christ greet you. This one in Galatians 1 says, this letter is written to the churches of Galatia. So there are more, there's more than one local congregation in that area. So now you're seeing we're coming down to a smaller group of people, a little bit differently organized, but they all are members of the larger church universal. It starts or begins when people collectively get together and decide to start a church. Acts 11 that uh, Brian read to us was the situation in, in Antioch. When we lived in uh, New Orleans, we uh, worshiped out in Metairie and there were four families that drove across the causeway, a uh, 26-mile bridge there, to come and worship um, every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and, and Wednesday. And so when Karen McKenzie and I moved over to the North Shore, we said, when are we going to start a congregation over here? And they said, let's do it. So we started a congregation, and you all have probably been part uh, of those kind of efforts, um, maybe in your life as well. So we decided to start a local uh, effort there, we uh, did what we were supposed to do uh, to do so, and uh, that congregation is still in existence uh, today. So it starts when people decide to start, within a geographical area, a local congregation. One enters by joining that group. Remember, that's in contrast to being added to the group, which is a more passive uh, way of going about it. We, re we render obedience and we are added to the universal church. Here, we take the step to let it be known that we want to join that group. Whew. That scared me. Uh, the Lord adds us to the universal church and we add ourselves or we ap apply, I guess you could say, uh, attempt to join 
and the admission to the local group is carried out by human judgment. If you have elders, normally it's handled by the elders. If you don't have elders, then, then the members um, handle that situation. And you can make mistakes. The, I mean, it's human, human error. Universal, no errors there. God, Jesus, um, will take care of that. And they know whether or not that individual has rendered obedience. Um, we can practice withdrawing of fellowship the same way that people can be cut out of the church universal uh, by God. Um, we can withdraw fellowship from someone who is uh, in error, walking in error, yet still wanting to be considered a member here. And 1 Corinthians 5, without getting into the details there, is our text uh, that we usually go to to demonstrate that Paul is pretty firm about that obligation that we're supposed to do. At the same time, we don't have guards at the door. Uh, we allow people to come and go and visit and, and come and uh, associate with us, worship with us. But if they want to become a, a member of the group, um, there is at least a process of examination to make sure that they are, number one, a member of the church universal, and number two, that there's nothing in their lives that would prevent us from uh, embracing them uh, with fellowship. Consists of both the saved and the lost because there's probably some in maybe this group, let's hope not, that are lost. And the only reason I say that is there's an example of that in Revelation 3. The church of Sardis says, Paul says, you're dead. You think you're alive, but you're dead. He says, you need to repent and change or I will come upon you like a thief in the night. So he threatens this congregation that has dead people in it, lost people in it, with coming. But notice what else he says. But you have a few people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So here's an example of a congregation that has both saved people and people that are in danger of losing their salvation if they haven't uh, lost it already. Paul says, or Jesus says, I will come and make things right. Church as a group was still in jeopardy. And here it goes back to that question uh, that do, do I have to be a member of a local congregation? And Mark put this uh, statement in here. He says, you do not have to be in this local church to be saved. Um, let me just go ahead. You can be saved and not belong to a local church. I went... And he said, well, what about the eunuch? The eunuch goes back to Ethiopia. More than likely, there's not a church, a local church there. I don't know if the eunuch can convert enough people to start one or, or how the eunuch was going to worship on a regular basis. Talks about Paul. After Paul, after Saul on, a, on the road to uh, Damascus, um, has his conversion situation. Not long after that, he goes back to Tarsus for something like three years. And as far as we know, there probably wasn't a congregation. It had not spread up into that area, at least as indicated by the scriptures as to where it had spread. Remember a while ago uh, when Brian read that about uh, chapter, in chapter 11. So I guess for a time period, it's okay. But Mark also says, and I agree, that should be temporary. 
you can't read in Ephesians 4, not the one faith, one body, and all of that, but when you go to uh, chapter, uh, verse 11 through 16, where it says, and he gave some as apostles, uh, prophets, teachers, uh, preachers, uh, evangelists, and, and those various roles that we can play in our local congregation, you can't participate in that unless you are a member of that local congregation. There's, a, there's an implication there that you should be participating in that because we're all working together. It's fitting uh, together and it's working for the edification of the whole group. Some people jump around from one church to another, especially if you're in an area. In Bowling Green, Kentucky, there are within about a 15 to 20 mile radius, there are 25 churches of Christ. It's a hotbed of the church. You'll find that in Alabama too, probably in a, in a metropolitan area like Birmingham or, or Montgomery. Um, other places where the church of Christ is, is a lot more uh, prevalent. Um, and so people don't feel like they have to add themselves to a group as long as they're worshiping somewhere. I don't think that's the way that God wants it. Um, some people say, well, I can get close to God by going out in the woods and communing with nature. Show me that passage. Um, Romans 16, 1, Galatians 6, 1 suggests that membership in a local congregation is um, a given. It's expected. It's how we can bear one another's burdens, a command. How we can exhort one another, a command. How, can, how we can strengthen the weak. It's a command. You can't do that unless you're a part of the group. So unless you're a part of a local congregation, it's going to be difficult to, you com to comply with the number of expectations that God has for us. It does have an earthly organization. Um, it has elders, pastors, shepherds, whatever you want to call them. They're also called bishops and presbyters in some some cases or some translations, all of them are legitimate. And um, Paul meets with various elders uh, in Acts 14 and Acts 20. I think Acts 20 is Ephesus. I can't remember what Acts 14 is right now. But their job, according to 1 Timothy and Titus, where we find the uh, qualifications and, and responsibilities and things that they are supposed to be able to do, they are to oversee and feed, spiritually feed, that local flock. They are overseers. They are pastors. They make sure that the souls of those individuals are as, as good as they can be. Our primary concern is to make sure that everyone in this, in this group and over which we have oversight gets to heaven. If we're not doing that, we're not doing our job. And one of the reasons that we are trying to get closer with our life groups and with our checking of attendance is we want to make sure that we don't let somebody slip through the cracks. Technically speaking, someone like that is on our charge. And that's not good for us. Deacons serve so that elders can oversee souls. Acts 6, we had the situation there where they appointed apparently deacons to handle the feeding of the Hellenistic uh, widows so that the apostles could uh, focus on um, the more detailed uh, work 
that they were assigned to do there in that case. There's no other superstructure in uh, Scripture. They are all autonomous. Local congregations can be divided, not like the larger group that is spiritual. This is a physical situation here. Doctrine, personalities, color of carpets. You all know the stories about how, how congregations split. And it's sad that many times it's over things that are on the right-hand side of that rather than the left-hand side. Picayune, little, tiny personality uh, clashes or whatever. Corinth was divided over their loyalties to the various people under whom uh, they learned about the gospel and were maybe baptized by Apollos, Paul, Cephas, and others. Jesus inspired all of the writers, the Holy Spirit inspired all of the writers to focus on unity, avoid divisions. The last, one of the last things he told his people, his apostles were, they will know you are mine as long as you are united. That's a, that's a, a feature, a characteristic of my people is that they are one. And so we aren't to be divided within congregations, but it's amazing how many times that happens. In uh, the book of Philippians, fourth chapter, before he closes his letter to the book, uh, book, uh, church at Philippi, Paul says, you've got two people. You've got Euodia and Syntyche, if that's the way, the way it's pronounced. Two ladies who were at odds, and they were causing the congregation to have problems. And he said, straighten that out. Get that fixed. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Death does affect your membership, although it translates you uh, just 100% into uh, back to the church universal. We die. We're no longer members. Stephen died. James died. Yep. And then here is that list of comparisons. I'm not going to read through that. But those are the points that we have made so far. Church universal on the left and church local on the right. I'm happy to share this slide with you if you want a copy of this or the lesson as a whole. Conclusions. Church universal is a relationship with God and Christ. The church local, on the other hand, is an expansion of that down to the local level. And it's a relationship that we have with other, care, other Christians so that we can carry out the work that, that that congregation has been assigned to do. And those are edification of members, evangelism of those outside our group and inside our group, but they need more edification, they need evangelism, and then benevolence of saints uh, there and elsewhere. You can either be neither, you can be both, or you can be one temporarily, and let's hope that you're a member of both. Technically, we don't go to church. Technically, we don't worship in a church. It's not the building. The church is the group of people here. You're added to the church through Jesus. Unless you believe. These are passages that we commonly hear at the end of a sermon just before we uh, offer the invitation. If you don't know what you need to do to become a child of God, here are passages which tell you. Believe. Confess. Have faith. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you are buried with him in baptism. You are baptized into Christ and at that point you can be raised to walk in newness of life because your sins have been remitted.
He died for the church. Gave himself up for her. Sacrificed everything for her. Came from heaven to this earth. Lived his entire life for the purpose of establishing that church. And it is through that church, and I would say probably more practically through the local church, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known, according to Ephesians 3. So are you a member of that church? And if you are not, we offer an invitation now, which will allow you an opportunity to become one. Please come as we stand and sing. some uh, reminders on upcoming activities. Uh, this Tuesday, February the 7th at 6.30 p.m. will be the Ladies of Joy uh, be here at the building. They'll be watching a movie, and all ladies are encouraged to attend that. Uh, February the 8th, so this coming Wednesday, is the last day to bring any Valentine's cards or gifts that uh, you'd like to, to give to the college students, and you could just put those in the boxes out in the foyer. February the 12th, next Sunday, Life Group 1, this is Rick's Life Group, will be meeting after AM worship services, and Taco Bar is on the menu. Also, that same day, uh, there'll be a high school Devo after the PM services. And then uh, February the 19th, so a couple Sundays, uh, there'll be a deacon's meeting at 5 p.m. And also, if you would like to bring any snacks for the, uh, the group that's going to be traveling to CYC at the end of the month, you can uh, sign up. Uh, on a sheet out in the uh, foyer on the bulletin board and bring those snacks by 
February the 22nd, I believe. Also, there will be a marriage seminar that will be taking place here on uh, Monday, February the 13th. That will be at 6.30 p.m., so I uh, encourage you to attend that and uh, spread the word on that as well. Uh, reminders on the prayer list, just continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus and Jennifer Baker, Terry Leap, Amber Spitzer, and uh, Rod Dunphy, who's recovering from hernia surgery. Uh, keep all those in your prayers as well as uh, many others. And we'll pick up a uh, bulletin on your way out and uh, always continue to keep our shut-ins and prayers. And uh, I know there's so many that are struggling and um, going through a lot of issues at this time. So uh, just remember to keep all those in your prayers. That is uh, all the announcements that I have. If you haven't had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, you can leave and do so at this time. It's available in the conference room outside this door. And we'll have uh, one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our closing song tonight will be number 970. 970. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step. You lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you. By step you lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. I will follow you all of my days, and I will follow you all of my days. And step by step you lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. bow with me please father we're thankful for this time that you've given us to hear this lesson from rick and we appreciate it we ask we pray father that you will give us strength to follow your word to help our light shine here in this community we ask your blessings on our sick and our shut-ins and be with jimmy as he continues his uh, treatments and charlie and alice and roger and peg and be with Stephanie and Casey and all of our others, Father, that are sick. We ask that you watch over them. Be with those that have lost loved ones. Bless our shut-ins. Go with us as we're about to leave here this time. We ask that you bring us back at the next appointed time. Watch over us through the night. Wake us in the morning for it be your will. Forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray. Then amen.